trying to carry too much. And if you go down the steps this morning out there in your hand, you're holding on to the handrail, you'll feel a little dent at the bottom of it where <laughs> my hard head <laughs> hit, hit that thing. So no concussion, I'm fine. <laughs> I got a hard head. No. Well, good morning. And happy Father's Day to all the fathers. And my dad is, um, he will be, let me see, I'm 55. I will be 55. He will be 86, October 19th. And he's driving all over the place, Michigan, North Carolina, so he's good. And anyway, I'll be talking to him later today. We'll probably see him in a few weeks anyway. But um, so anyway, happy Father's Day. And I don't really have Father's Day little nugget or anything. It's totally off the subject. But, um, and you know, whenever I go to work, I always listen to things. But I had the radio on, and I have uh, XM radio, so I'm clicking and clicking and trying, and, and it goes to the regular radio stations, which are local radio stations. And I never, you know, I never want to say any, because Lord knows I say stuff, and I don't, I'm not right. You know what I mean? And or don't know what I'm saying, half, you know, and, and so I don't want to criticize anybody's message at all because we're all in it together and we're all trying to uplift and build. And I'm sure that she was saying what she, revelation she had, but the spin that it, she was putting on it was just different. And I, we used to be there. And so I just wanted to touch base that, and you said, well, that'll be a good nugget. But it was, um, she was saying without faith, it's impossible to please God. And just putting the spin of putting it all on us, that we have to have faith in order to make him pleased with us, in order for us, you know, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, so you got to seek him out, you got to do these things so you can get all these things. And I understand that because the scripture does say that at face value, but when you read and understand the context of it and where it was coming from, and it's in Hebrews, and, you know, I love Hebrews, and... Um, Hebrews talks about faith as being the centerpiece of the new covenant, of the New Testament. It's the centerpiece. And in Hebrews 11, it says, now faith is the substance. And I know you all have heard this a hundred times, but now, now faith is the substance. And so, you know, they were talking to the Hebrews about coming out of an old covenant system from everything tangible and everything like that. And so what he is saying is he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, meaning and, you know, um, the inheritance that you have, because they didn't realize Christ, they were still trying to do things without faith, because without faith, we would need the law, right? Because the law was a tutor, and that was what it was for. It was a guard. We kept us under prison, in a, you know, and it, re and it was meant to, to bring us to Christ. And so, but now, it doesn't take faith to do the law. So that's why it's not pleasing whenever we try to go back to do these things to think that we're doing to, to please him. He just wants us, but he said, now faith is that substance. You don't have to do those things. And now the life that we live, because we have been crucified with him, we live in the faith, by the faith of Christ who, who died for us. Are you all getting this? You know what I'm saying? So you, I don't want you to think that, oh, I don't have any faith, you know, because I know lots of people are believing for a lot of things, and if they get frustrated about things not happening for them or anything not being answered, and, and maybe they have to do more, and there's a lot of things I don't understand, and I don't know why sometimes those things aren't answered, but I do know that it is not anything that you're doing because the law puts the 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 emphasis on you and faith puts the emphasis on what he's done and we just receive that and we walk in that um anyway there was a, another place here 
Oh, in Galatians, because um, he, where is it? I'm going to find it. Hold on. I know, look at all these notes I write down. I was on a roll, and I try not to read it off of there because it's boring that way. But it's in Galatians, and it says, it's Galatians 22, and I wrote it down, and I can't find it. But it says, um, there was a faith that was to be revealed. So we were under the law until the faith that was to be revealed. And the faith that was to be revealed is Christ, okay? And so that's what this whole thing is about. So there was the faith that was to be revealed, and, and in Hebrews, he was trying to let them know and that where she was getting that scripture from, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's like, no, but it's Christ. Now he has been revealed, so that was the faith that was to come. And that is the life we live. We live in the faith of the Son of God, which is his faith, which is perfect faith, because when we are faithless, he is faithful, and it's, and it's the whole paradigm shift of our thinking of what we used to think of how we had to do things is now different. And I get that, that we're on this journey, and we've gotten that, and maybe they, they're on their journey and getting there. It's like maybe they're this far back in the line, and they're going to get it because, you know, what the law does is it brings you to an end of yourself. And that when you come to the end of yourself and he's like, okay, are you done? Then you just rest in him and let him do what he needs to do in your heart. But anyway... I know it was all jumbly and stuff, but I really thought you were going to do <laughs> something different. But he said, go ahead and say that. And I thought, well, i got to write it all down. But um, it was a whole different thing than I was going to say. But I'll pray. Though. I like to pray sometimes. So, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. We thank you, God, that you are faithful. We thank you, Lord, that you've sent Holy Spirit, who is the law of life and love, and that that's what gives us life, and that's what's pleasing to you, is we can just rest in you, because that's what you wanted to do through your Son, is give us his Spirit, so we live by that. We're guided by that. Lord, help open our arm, our hearts and our ears to hear from you, and let us see the things in the spiritual realm with eyes to see through grace. Lord, that you have already given us these things, and we can just walk in it when we rest. And we, are love, we, we love you, we honor you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good job. Um, I just want to take a few minutes, and I'm going to say something that I don't want it to be misconstrued, and I'm not trying to say it in, in arrogance or pride, but rather because of the gift that God has granted to us to be able to pastor this church and to have founded it uh, and started in her beauty salon in St. Albans having grace gatherings once a month and out of that uh, the church blossomed and bloomed and uh, the word father means originator or founder and so as a, a founder and originator in the mode of a father to the, to the house uh, I want to release some things this morning, okay? This one, I, number one, we, Lisa and I, firmly believe that we we want to pull on the gift that's within you. So I release you in your gift. Don't ever hesitate or feel condemned or judged in using your gift. We want you to use your gift. A lot of people that have teaching gifts or vocal gifts, musician gifts, they get seen a lot. But there's prophetic gifts in this house. There's healing gifts in this house. We want to release you to flow in that. But here's the key in that. It's not just to release you on Sunday morning to do it in the worship service, which we do. But we were trying to train, teach, 
give resources and courage and motivate so that when we all leave the building that we flow in those gifts and it's a natural flow in the unforced rhythms of grace and help bring healing to the nation. Because you are leaves of the tree that bring healing to the nations. I want to release you to start prophesying and imagining that this house is full. It's been full in the past. Uh, Things have happened. People have um, decided not to attend or be involved in organized religion, which is, in my opinion, a deception from the enemy to keep you from gathering together with the body of Christ to be encouraged. And you might have something that I need, and I may have something that you need. All together, we're lovely as the body of Christ. And so I release you to start imagining And then when you come in, lay your hands on three or four seats and say, Lord, fill it up. Bring them in from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Uh, Hurting, hungry people that can be healed, trained, and built up. Um, I, I don't believe that we're at the end of the ministry of Grace Life Church. I believe that we're in the beginning. I believe that God still has a lot for us to do. Um, Brett and I were talking before the service Uh, we can declare from the pulpit uh, week in and week out Jesus loves you and he truly does love you but the only way that people are going to know that Jesus loves them is by our touch, by our word, by our smile, by our gift come on and uh, 90% that's probably a little high but it's in that statistical range of people that will come to church are going to come because you invited them. Not because of a billboard, and we'll put billboards up there. We've got an advertisement at Fat Patties right now that's going to last for three years. Uh, go make sure that it's there. Go eat at Fat Patties after <laughs> church today and make sure that it's there. Uh, but I'm encouraging you and releasing you. Um, I love the bridge. And some of you all will see our post on Facebook that Lisa and I will go to the bridge and people will say, you're at your favorite place again. And Lisa will say, my second favorite place because we all know where her favorite place to be is. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I, Grace Life. <laughs> Busted. <laughs> but uh, it was good. I've told everybody about the bridge. I mean, that's just one of the greatest places in this area to eat. Uh, Andrew, that's a plug if you're listening or ever watch this, that we like the bridge, and we will take our guests that come in town, well, we like to take them to the bridge. But it's amazing that people go to church, they get healed up, they get help, they get strengthened. There's a good news word that's being spoke, but they never bring anybody to hear it. Now listen, I'm all about programs. I love children's ministry, youth ministry, a big band and worship. Uh, I love all of that stuff, but you know, I can deal with a lot of things if I can get a word that's going to sustain me and build me up that I can then share with my brothers and sisters. Uh, so um, I, I, I encourage you to, I'm imagining it. I'm, I'm seeing it in my heart. And mind's eye that all of the seats are filled up, that children's church is filled up, that we've got plenty of workers, that our band is filed up and we can do a rotation. Uh, I'm, I'm believing and declaring that, that he'll bring in willing participants. 
that uh, will partner. I wrote this down, so I'm trying to speak it the way that I felt the Lord gave it to me. That who will partner with Grace Life Church as we endeavor to continue to take grave clothes off of those who have been given new life in Christ. A lot of people have received new life, but they're still bound up. There's all types of things. They're not seeing properly. They're not hearing properly. They can't walk. They can't move their hands. And Jesus turned to those there at the tomb of Lazarus when he came forth. Jesus is the life giver. We're not the life giver. He's the life giver. But he does give us a responsibility as sons. And he says, you take off his grave clothes so that he can see, so that he can hear, so he can walk and talk in the kingdom. We're believing that he's going to awaken us here at Grace Life so that we continue to give generously and cheerfully as the Lord leads. Uh, we're believing as new ones come in that they will have the vision to give of their time, talents, and treasures as well. It's Father's Day, and I'm just speaking from a father's heart. Is that okay? Uh, I think it's, it's good. I'm not in, and I'm not even talking about spending extra hours in prayers and beating the floor and begging God to do things. I'm just imagining it, seeing it, and with faith-filled words declaring that he's going to do the work. My goodness, if he can bring in $9,000 plus in one week to take care of our needs, he wants those that are out there who are bound up to come to a place where they can hear a life-giving word, be freed up, and souls can come into the kingdom of God for such a time as this. I'm believing for new teachers, new sound techs, new computer operators, new greeters, new band members, new deacons, youth leaders, as you meet everyone needed in the positions that we will have even in the future that I'm not aware of, that you're not aware of. We believe that the hearts of the people are receptive and that the eyes of our minds are opened up to the spirit realm. We believe that Grace Life is a healthy, growing church meeting the needs of our community and that we will continue to paint a picture of the goodness and beauty of Jesus. Will you agree with me on that and declare those things? And we release you and your gifts to minister to the body of Christ and to the hurting world. You know, it's dad jokes. Kathy gave me a book a few years ago, and it's not titled Dad Jokes, but it's full of bad jokes. I mean dad jokes. You regret giving that to me for years. But I used to, my mom told me some of these jokes, and so they're not, not dad jokes, they're mom jokes. But since I'm a dad, I tell them as dad jokes. And here's one of them for you, okay? And Jennifer's already laughing, and I haven't even said anything. That's exactly the way my mom was. <laughs> What's the lightest house to carry? A lighthouse. Thank Jennifer got the <laughs> Okay. Don't answer anymore. What three animals can unlock a locked door? A monkey, a donkey, and a turkey. Uh, see, so those are the bad dad jokes for the year. Yeah. I want to talk to you this morning about how the father sees you. Are you interested in how the father sees you? Um, I was a senior in high school when we were out Camel's Creek. There's a little Christian school out there called Fairhaven Christian School. And we were playing football, and it was pouring down the rain. I'm talking about it was just a downpour. 
and so bad that my dad and mom were in the car with the windshield wipers on fast trying to watch us play. And this is amazing. I had this story written down, and I didn't think I have a visual aid for you this morning right there on my head because I got the ball, came down the middle. I was the fullback, and when I came through the middle, I lowered my head and cracked my head. But I thought it was the rain because it was just pouring down the rain. And I get back in the huddle, and they're saying, you're bleeding. And I said, no, I'm not. And I'm wiping my head off. And my dad rolls down the window, and he says, I see you're right. I see you. If you're really an athlete, they call you by your last name in the game, you know. But those words were kind of ringing in my ears as I was preparing this message that my father saw me. Now, yes, that was the athletic field, but he didn't miss games, but he was there for all the academic accolades. He was there in you know, good times and bad times. He was always there growing up. I did not have to worry about my dad missing a ball game. Matter of fact, he coached us most of the time. Uh, whether he was the coach or not of the team, he was coaching us. Uh, but that just resonated in my heart and my head, my ears this week that, my father Solomon. Um, many Christians don't believe that their father sees them, and that they have to, they work to perform. And a lot of earthly father experiences that we've had have led to people um, that have, unfortunately, with a lack of a father, have gone down a road that's caused them a lot of problems uh, in their life. And many Christian teachings expect you to have a biblical worldview or a, a view of how the Father sees the world. Um, but the view that they want, it's mainly come from doctrinal opinions. Um, I'm not, I don't want to try to get deep, but really there's only f about 4% of Americans that have a biblical worldview. Now, I'm saying biblical worldview, but really what I want to get to is a Christ-centric view of the Father. Because the Bible says a lot of things that I wouldn't recommend that you do. Because they're not Christ-like. Just let that churn. Huh? Yeah, the Bible says to stone disobedient children. I wouldn't have made it past seven or eight. <laughs> you know, I would have been stoned. So I don't recommend chopping off your hand if it offends you or plucking out your eye, but that's what the Bible says. But I'm not trying to get you to have a biblical worldview, although we need to go to the Scriptures to find out what the Christ-centric view uh, is. And we it is very, very important for us to understand how our Father in Heaven sees us. It matters. Um, how we see Father in the framework uh, from which we view uh, reality in our world and it makes sense in life in the world. But if we have the wrong view, our reality, the narrative that comes out of a wrong view of who God is to you as Father can lead you down a path that you buy into lies. You believe that lie about yourself because you believe that's the way Father in Heaven sees you. And so you hide, we, we try to hide a lot of our behavior, then we try to modify that behavior because we get a guilty conscience over what we've done. 
And unfortunately, the church puts us in that position a lot because we've been given a wrong worldview. How we think the Father sees us uh, becomes the filter through which our brains process the world. Um, there are Christian organizations, and I use that term loosely, that believe that there are no more miracles. That God doesn't exist in that realm. Uh, all they believe in is the tangible, the material, touch, feel, uh, hear, taste. They only believe that humans merely evolved from animals. I mean, there are Christian organizations that believe and teach that. There are religions uh, that teach that all religions and beliefs lead you to the Father. And they're all equal. I'm not coming against, I'm, not tell, I'm just giving you some of the things that Christian churches are teaching today. Uh, there are no, there's one religion that says there's no objective truths and there's no moral standards, that all truth is relative and what one person might think is right and true is different from what another person might think is right and true. When, and I'm specifically speaking about when you look at God as Father. And then there's one true God who has revealed himself to mankind through his son Jesus Christ and that story is recorded in the scriptures that is full of absolute truth and exist to de and those exist to be determined by the father I, I don't know where you are today whether you're watching and listening online or a podcast or you're in the building about where you are in your journey about how the father sees you because it matters it matters. The problem, here's the problem. Let's look at the problem, our response, and why it matters. We have allowed culture to form our view of the Father instead of seeing ourselves the way that He sees us. Our response then is that we've allowed the way you see Father to be shaped by everything else except then revelation by the Holy Spirit through what Jesus did because Jesus expressly said, I have come to reveal the Father to you. He is the exact representation of the invisible Father. Now please, 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 please hear me. I'm not throwing this out by any means, shape, or form, or fashion. If anyone ever says that, you can tell them, my pastor said, that is not true, you're lying. This is where I find the truth of who Jesus is that he came to reveal the Father. Now I do believe that I have a responsibility and a, and a mandate to help give you some resources, ask you some really tough questions, and then give you scriptural references that I trust that you will take. You know, only 60% of Americans own a Bible. Only 60% of Americans own a Bible and less than 10% of them read it. And less than that, actually study it. See, I, I used to hear read, pray, witness, and obey, and I read my Bible all the time, but I never studied it. And in reading it, I was, Brett, we had a good discussion this morning. I was reading it like a horse with blinders on in a race. 
And so when I read it, I read it in a tunnel vision, narrow-mindedness with no peripheral uh, ability to see and to hear what others might have to say outside of my sphere of influence. That's what happens when you become indoctrinated within a denomination. But when you can take the blinders off and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to you in context of the Scripture who the Father is because that really matters, then the revelation of Jesus Christ will begin to infiltrate your heart and your mind. Scriptures will jump off the page. You will be awakened to it. You'll have a different view of the Father and, and you'll understand how He really truly sees you. That in turn will affect your reality and how you treat others, how you respond to others. And there are a lot of social issues and hot topics right now that the churches in general is getting themselves into hot water over because they are reading scripture instead of studying it and taking off those blinders and allowing the Holy Spirit to really reveal who Father is. So why does it matter? It matters the way that we view the Father because we tend to take on false narratives about the world and ourselves, losing sight of what He has already done for us through the cross of Calvary. According to Genesis, the 16th chapter, this is the story of Hagar, who is being uh, mistreated in the story of Abraham. She is Sarah's uh, handmaiden, and when Abraham moved outside of the realms of faith and tried to perform on his own, Ishmael was born, and Hagar is Ishmael's mother, and she's distraught, and Abram's just about ready to kick her out because of Sarah's uh, dislike of her now, even though she suggested the whole thing. But Genesis 16, 13 caught my attention. This is what Hagar, in the midst of all this turmoil and chaos, losing everything that she's known as home and finances. She's about to go out and just travel to the wild blue yonder to figure out what God's going to do for her. And this is what comes to her in the 13th verse of chapter 16. He is the God who sees me. Matter of fact, when she got that revelation that God saw her in her mess, and if you'll read the story, he promised her a lot. He promised Ishmael, even though he was going to be a wild donkey, that's what the scripture says, that he would have, his descendants would have 12 tribes and his descendants would be as the sand of the shore and the stars of the sky as well. Big promises. God saw her in her mess. I have a word for you today that God sees you. No matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, uh, whether gas is $5 or gas is $2.29, that's a prophecy, uh, then God sees you. <laughs> El Roya, that's the Hebrew term, and that's what she gave the name of the place where she got that revelation. I believe that it's... Uh, significant to mark places where you get a fresh revelation because if you lose your way you can go back to that and it doesn't have to be a specific place like 93 Joy Lane I'm talking about in your heart in your spirit you can go back where God revealed to you who he was as a good good father through what Jesus did for you at the cross and you placed your faith and trust in that and he will continue to unfold that to you Basic questions 
in which I believe many have been misinformed, uninformed, and simply confused um, about how their Heavenly Father views them right now in this moment. Doesn't matter what you did last night, said last night, watched last night, didn't do this week, or should have done this week. How does the Father see you in this moment? So I'm going to ask you three, three basic questions. They may seem uh, confusing, but if you'll take those blinders off and ask the Holy Spirit, uh, with these scriptural references that I'm going to give to you, study them out and see what He directs you in believing in these scriptures. I know where I am. I know where I've come from, what I used to believe, when I heard these scriptures and when these questions were asked to where I am today, but that may not be where I am three years from now. Question number one, is your father angry with you? Just listen to that question because there are a lot of messages that go forth in uh, preaching across the world today that God is angry. And because he's angry, he sends floods to destroy where homosexuality is rampant. He sends tornadoes and uh, wildfires to destroy places that are killing babies because he's angry. I want to give you a scripture. I want you to study this scripture and I want you to allow the Holy Spirit take off the blinders. Don't have a narrow tunnel vision of what you've been taught in the past. And if you still come back to that, God bless you. You hold on to what the Holy Spirit has revealed to you in this point in your journey. I'm not going to be mad at you and I'm not going to argue with you. I want to present a scripture to you in Isaiah 54 verses 9 and 10 that I helped me to clear up the question, was my Father in heaven mad at me? Because see, if I, when I had the view that he was mad at me, then I got mad at other people. Because of their behavior. And then I wanted to judge them. And then I wanted to tell them the things that they needed to do so that God wouldn't be mad at them. But basically I was saying, so you won't be mad at me. And I won't be mad at you. Isaiah 54 verse 9 and 10 says this, For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be angry with you. Can it be any plainer? Nor rebuke you. The mountains, they'll depart, and the hills, they'll be removed. But my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. When I read that scripture, I believe that my, my Father in heaven is not mad at me nor angry at me. He says it's a covenant of peace that will never be removed, that He has kindness towards us that He'll never take away, and that He says that He has sworn. Hebrews says that he, God swore to God. He swore to Himself. An oath, And do you know that the, in this context that the rainbow is not a sign and symbol to you? If you'll read it, it says he reminded himself when he sees a rainbow in the sky of what 
He promised, what did he promise? That I'll never be angry with you again. I'll never rebuke you. My kindness I will not take away from you. This is, one translation says, it is an everlasting covenant of peace. Um, now, not mad at anybody that believes that God gets angry at people when they sin. I think it's, they've been misinformed and they're simply confused about who their heavenly father is. That's one scripture, and I believe it's in context of believing that God's not angry. So as your pastor, I would encourage you to take that scripture, cross-reference it with other scriptures, and start reading and preparing yourself and allowing Holy Spirit to reveal to you how the Father sees you. It's going to look just like Jesus. <laughs> Question number two, does your Father see your sin Turn from it, because we all know that God can't look on sin. The Bible doesn't say that, but we've been taught that. Does he count it against you, take record of it, and then race your name out of the book? Just for fun, how many of you ever heard that when you backslid that your name was taken out of the book? You heard that, okay. 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, verse 19 that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. When did he do that? At the cross. God was in Christ, so he didn't forsake him. It was The Trinity has never been disassociated from one another. They've always been one. And so if God forsook Christ at the cross, then the Trinity ceased to exist. And that didn't happen. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sin against them. King James says not counting men's sins against them. God doesn't have a record book. Man does, but the Father in heaven doesn't have a scorecard. You know, I love these, this new uh, entitled generation. They have one thing right. They don't keep score at t-ball games. Now, all the parents do, but there's not a scoreboard up there keeping record. That's just like our father. He doesn't keep any score. There's no record of any wrong. Okay, let's look at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. This is a scripture that's used in weddings a lot, and it's a good exhortation to those getting married, but it's sometimes forgotten because we keep a lot of record of wrongs in our marriages. This is really talking about God who is love and love is patient and kind and love doesn't keep any record of wrong and is not easily angered. God does not keep any record of your wrong. He doesn't keep track. As a matter of fact, I didn't put this one on the screen, but mark it down. Revelation, the third chapter, verse 5. Can I just segue into a rabbit trail real quick with that probably 90% of everybody that's going to hear this term doesn't even know what it is but I am not a full preterist been, I've been told that I am I've been accused that I am but I'm not Okay, but there are some things that I believe in the book of Revelation that have already happened I do believe uh, that God that Jesus has come. He is currently coming and appearing 
I mean, just look at the stories of the Muslims who are having encounters with Christ and others. He's appearing every time you are his hands and feet to someone that's never seen him before. And he is to come. Uh, I just particularly, at this point in my journey, don't believe in a rapture or two separate events that are going to take place. Do you know there are three mainline denominations that hold that same view? And if you say, if you're going to make the rapture a dividing issue and a salvation issue, you are disqualifying three mainline denominations who have held for centuries. The Church of God of Anderson, Indiana is one of them. And there's a Presbyterian denomination. I can't remember which one because there's like uh, USA and two or three different other sects of it. I would have to look at that. But you can Google it and you can find out what denominations don't believe in a rapture. Uh, didn't say that Jesus wasn't coming back. Just don't believe in a doom and gloom message that the world... Well, I'll get to that in just a minute. But Revelation 3 verse 5 says, go look it up for yourself, that your name has been written with indelible ink. Indelible means cannot be removed cannot be washed away or erased, final, unchanging, firm, unvarying, irreversible, and constant. Doesn't sound like to me that your name can be erased from the book. Matter of fact, God doesn't even have an eraser on his pencil. I'll go a step further. He doesn't have a pencil. Your name is written in blood. Jesus' blood. Question number three. Is the Father's plan to judge and punish you because of your sin? Let's go to John 12. I'm just teaching you this morning, trying to go line upon line, giving you some questions that people ask a lot and people believe, and these are things that are taught. 12 of John, verses 31 through 33. The time of judgment for the world has come. Now John was writing this in about, uh, well he's reminiscing going back to what Jesus did in 33 AD. Okay, so he's, he's writing about when he says that the time for judgment of the world has come, he was talking about in context, we'll read it, about the cross which took place in 33 AD. So when did judgment come? 33 AD. The time of judgment for the world has come and the time when Satan shall be cast out because he was going to be defeated. That whole system was going to go under. And when I am lifted up on the cross, I will draw, this next phrase is not in the original Greek writing, all men to myself. That's not in the original language. If your Bible has italicized words there, or a number or letter at the end of that phrase, you can look at the reference of that and it will tell you that it was omitted in the original writing and that was added. So really the scripture ends by Jesus saying, I will draw all. Draw all what? The context of the scripture is judgment. Where did he draw all judgment to himself at? At the cross. He took your judgment at the cross. The time for judging the world system is in your past. The judging was the overthrow of the kingdom of darkness. The cross was the hinge of history. It all changed. It's a brand new covenant. God operates 
with his children differently because of what Jesus did by fulfilling everything that had to be fulfilled in that old covenant system. You and I could not do it. We couldn't keep one of it, much less all of it, and Jesus came and fulfilled it all. He didn't tear it down and destroy it because it protected and hemmed us in. And it, like Lisa said earlier, pointed us to our need of a Savior. Because at the end of the law, how many are righteous? No, not one. But he fulfilled it and the hinge of history was at the cross. And so judgment, he became the judgment of your guilt and shame and he took it on the cross. That's, I believe that that's incredibly good news. I believe that if we can get a hold of the fact, it will remove fear from people that their judgment is out in the future. Well, what if I sin since I believed? When, listen, when he died on the cross, all of your sins were in the future. You hadn't committed any sins yet. All of your sin was in the future. So were you forgiven when you asked for forgiveness or when the blood was shed? You were forgiven. Now you can apply that blood and waken your mind to it and then tell the Lord you're sorry for what you did, but that didn't take your name out of the book and then have him rewrite it in the book again. Huh? Because he didn't die again. That's right. He died once and for all, all time. I do have another question. This one will really pique your interest and get you thinking. Number, this is the last one. Is your father going to wipe you out and burn up the world. Go with me to 2 Peter, the 10th chapter. I am not trying to persuade you to believe like I believe. I did not arrive at where I am yesterday. I used to believe differently, like I said, about a lot of these scriptures. I may believe differently in the future about some of these scriptures. If you are not willing to grow and go beyond where you have been since you were seven years old in vacation Bible school, you have a long way to go. And that's not putting you down. I'm just saying you, healthy things grow. But we still have a lot of seven-year-old vacation Bible school brats in the church. And... Let me say it this way. We still have a lot of them behind pulpits. I'm not saying that I know it all. That's not what I'm saying at all. I was one of those seven-year-old brats behind the pulpit <laughs> trying to teach people that I really hadn't gone beyond what the denomination and the fellowship group that I was in taught. Never studied anything outside of, well, that's not what I've been taught. That's not what I heard. But wasn't willing to go deeper in studying instead of just reading. So go to 2 Peter 3, verses 10 through 13. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Underline or circle that word elements. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Pay attention to verse 12 that I just read. 
the heavens will be dissolved. They'll be on fire. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which what dwells? Righteousness. If you have to die to dwell in righteousness, God kill us all. If heaven's going to burn with fire, because the first one he created wasn't good enough, but that's where he's living right now, seated on the throne. Isn't that what we teach? That God is in heaven, seated on the throne. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for you and I to make sure that we get all the benefits of the kingdom. He sent the Holy Spirit as a seal, a guarantee, a down payment. I mean, that's what we've been taught and we read in the scripture, but it's all going to burn up. That's what we've been taught because he's got to wipe out this earth because it's so evil. Old covenant terms and conditions, God judged nations. And he judged those nations normally based upon the way that the king, the leader, the prophet or the priest, high priest was going. And God would judge the nation. When good kings, righteous kings ruled, the people rejoiced. But when they didn't and evil kings took over, then God would root them out. But he no longer deals with nations. He deals with individuals. That's why it's a personal relationship. You receive the Holy Spirit when you believe your sins are washed away, then He wants to have a personal relationship with you. And thank God that He's not judging all of you based upon my behavior and performance as a pastor. Thank God Lisa said (laughs) she lives with me. But yet we have a whole nation full of Christian people that believe that whoever they elect, is the he's determining what happens to the masses. Now, I'm not going to argue with you that, those, that there are political things that happen and economic things that happen, but God's not judging a nation based upon one man's behavior. Matter of fact, he's not even judging you because of your behavior. He already judged Jesus. He gave the right of judgment, Jesus said. He said, he gave, my father gave me the right to judge. And then in John 3, 17, he said, I did not come into the world to judge it or condemn it, but that the world through me might be saved. He never came to judge. He took all that judgment. We heard Paul White say that last week. But we still have this mentality that he's going to wipe it all out because he's angry with the world because they haven't turned to him. That's a theology that came from Noah that he said that he would never do it again. And every time there's a rainbow in the sky, he's reminding himself how much he loves you, that he's made a covenant of peace with you, that his kindness is always going to be towards you, and that he's not going to be angry with you anymore. But we still have a theology that tells us that he's going to wipe it all out and burn it all up. So if that's not the case, then what are you telling me, Pastor? I'm telling you that this has already taken place. The word elements there, or the rudiments, refer back to all of the elements of the temple. The Ark of the Covenant, the brazen laver. Now, you've got to remember, Peter is talking to first century Jews. Lisa so elegantly told you just a few minutes ago that it was all tangible. You didn't have to have faith to go buy you a lamb and take it up to the priest and let the priest slaughter it, then shed the blood of that animal, uh, sprinkle it all over the altar, burn some incense, hear the shafars blowing and the worship going on. It was tangible, it was touchable. But in the transition period... 
of Jesus ascending and the Holy Spirit being sent and before the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, these first century Jews still have to pass by the temple, but now faith is the substance. Not the tabernacle, not the temple, not the brazen laver, not the washings, not the ceremonies, not the bleeding of lambs, not the blowing of shafars and trumpets. Now faith is the substance. And so that whole system was going to be completely dismantled. Yes, he did wipe it out. Yes, he did burn it up. But that's not something that's going to happen in your future, in my opinion. That's the way that I see the scripture when it reads there. I I, I just cannot bear in my mind why God would burn heaven up. Why would he catch heaven on fire if that's where he lives? I mean, just common sense knowledge and logic If you have a home, why would you want to burn your home up unless you're twisted and sick and you want to try to get some insurance money out of it or something like that? And I don't believe God is that way. So why does he want to burn up his home? How many of you believe, if you're watching again this morning or you're listening, you could even nod your head, shake your hand, or put a hand up there on the comments, believe that you, when you die that you go to heaven? Then why is God going to burn it up? I'm just there's confusion, misinformation, and some are just uninformed. This is where I stand. I believe that it's something that already took place because to the first century Jew, the temple was heaven. Behind the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, is where the Shekinah of glory of God lived and dwelt. That was heaven. The outer court was the earth. And the brazen laver was the sea. And you can read the book of Wars by Josephus and you will find out that in 70 AD that the heavens, the Holy of Holies, were on fire and that the brazen laver, it was all the reflection of the temple being burnt could be seen in the brazen laver. Daniel says that the heaven and earth shall be cast into the sea. Josephus saw heaven and earth in the brazen laver. It was cast into the sea. And you go to Israel with us, they will teach you that. That's, that's their history of what happened. And it's never been rebuilt. Therefore, Hebrews 10.26 says, If you sin willfully, there remaineth no more sacrifice. Why? Because there's no more temple to take a, a, a sacrifice to, to get the blood of a goat or a bull to be a sacrifice for your sin. There remaineth no more. Why? Because Jesus did it once and for our all. Hallelujah. Mm. You got to hear this. Papa sees who you are and not what you do. Does that mean we just act like wild children that have no responsibility? No, not as you mature. The indwelling spirit will capture you and lead you into behaving properly and working in the kingdom. It's not, you're not working to receive a wage, you're giving effort in advancing the kingdom. So what does Father, what has Father God done for you? Jennifer, if you'll just come and play. Well, he does, he has not disqualified you. And he will not disqualify you. Anytime I've ever been disqualified, it's been by man. God's never disqualified me. He qualifies. He disciplines. He does not punish. 
There is a difference. Study the word discipline, you will find there is no punishment in discipline. Correction. Now see, you want to go back and you will even use this for your unruly child. Well, spoil the, spare the rod and spoil the child. I'm, I, whatever technique works, but allow the Holy Spirit to lead you in how you discipline your children. But His discipline towards His children, He chastens and corrects. He doesn't punish. It, it, it blows my mind that we can think as believers. I would not even think of taking any of our five children and giving them cancer or causing some debilitating disease to be upon them to teach them a lesson. When Mary was laying in that bed and she wasn't able to walk, I was heartbroken. I wasn't telling her, now God's trying to teach you a lesson. You shouldn't do this. You should. That's not God. That's not who your father is. I don't. He does not destroy. He creates. He's not in the destruction mode. He's not going to try to burn you up, wipe you out, and make you a grease spot along life's highway as I was taught growing up. <laughs> a lot of people that have heard that message are laughing. <laughs> Let me see what's going on. He does see us and what we do or else he wouldn't. I'm sorry, I lost it. Police is helping me. Or he wouldn't be able to discipline and correct us. He doesn't hold what we do against us. That's right. That's what we've been saying. Oh, he sees what we do, yeah. My mouth can't catch up with my brain sometimes. But regardless of your earthly father experiences, some of you didn't have fathers that you grew up with. Some of you had abusive fathers that you grew up with. Some of you had loving fathers with well intentions that just didn't have all of the information and they did the best they could with what they had. They did a really good job. But all your heavenly father does and did is motivated by his everlasting and unconditional love for you. What's all this mean? Well, I believe that our father views the world as getting better, not worse. That's just what I tend to believe. And if you look at the news and you hear people talking, you wouldn't think that's the fact. Um, but Ephesians 3.21 says, Unto Him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout the ages, world without end. That's what I believe in. As you stand to your feet this morning, I believe in a world without end. So as children of God the Father, we have a responsibility, I believe, to be about the Father's business and not look for evacuation, but start occupying. I personally think God so loved the world, so loved you, that He never intends on destroying it or anyone in it. I don't think those are his intentions. I think that his intentions for you are only good. Wow. What a colossal failure to create something only to have in mind its ultimate and eventual collapse and destruction. Think about that. Could you turn that down just a little bit on the keyboard? Thank you. What an ultimate and colossal failure 
for God to create something and only have in mind to ultimately destroy it. I mean, if, you, if you've got this great invention, this great creation, and you want to market it and get it out there, your intentions are never to destroy it and for it to fail. So why would we think the Father would create the world and then His ultimate plan for that world would be to destroy it? The New Jerusalem is not a location. Revelation tells us this. John said, I saw the New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. That should give you a a thought right there in your mind that you're not going to the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem's coming down out of heaven. And then he finishes that thought with, as a bride adorned for her wedding day. That tells me it's not a location, that it's a people. So the New Jerusalem, the New Heaven, is people. And he's, we are living in a brand new world, and you are a brand new creation. I believe the Father sees you as acceptable, valuable, lovable, forgiven, capable, powerful, and undeniably His. He sees all of His creation as reconciled to Himself. Now some will say that He's only reconciled those who have believed. No, He's reconciled the world. That's what the Scripture says. But you have to respond. There's a subjective and an objective. Your response is now be reconciled. Reconciled to the fact that he has reconciled you to himself, forgiven you. He sees you. He loves you. You are undeniably his, and he's not keeping any record of your wrong. The fact alone should, that fact alone should just swell up a response into us to be re- reconciled to that and believe it. So I hope this Father's Day message encourages you. It may cause you to walk away with an aha moment it may cause you to walk away with I need to study that out more but I believe that you've been given some fresh information that will help you have a revelation of who the Father is through of what Jesus has done Amen Anything on your heart? You have something? Does anybody have anything that the Lord has given them for this morning?